one of the earliest adages that I was taught was you can't really have a sustainable equity market rally if retail stocks are not participating. And it's a little tricky to separate that out because Amazon so dominates a lot of the measures of retail. And when I say retail, I mean, uh, you know, stores, not not people, not retail investors. But we're, we're not seeing a very robust retail sector, you know, stock-wise. And, you know, you, and, and every so often you're getting some of these disasters du jour, which tend to be in, in retailers. So it's a tricky one because the consumer, as Jose is mentioning, is out there spending. They're spending it on services, though, not goods. You know, ultimately, the consumer, the consumer does have to show up sort of more broad-based. Um, it's tough to fight, what is it, Jose, 65, 70% of the economy with, through consumers, but their, their spending is not necessarily conducive to, in sectors that, that might be stock market friendly. So that's one I've been keeping an eye on. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to this week's economic podcast from Interactive Brokers. Joining me to discuss U.S. economics this week, Steve Sosnick, our chief strategist. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm pretty good, mate. Thank you. Uh, Head of Fixed Income Trading, Joe Burke. How are you doing, Joe? Doing well, Andrew, and yourself? I'm all right, thank you. And Senior Economist down in West Palm Beach, Jose Torres. How are you, Jose? Doing great. Very excited to be here. Looking forward to it. Hi, Andrew. Thank you. We're we're looking forward to a, a, a good discussion. So just to put this in context for the audience, we're recording today's podcast at the start of June and two weeks ahead of the next FOMC meeting at which the broad consensus already is that the Federal Reserve has reached a plateau in terms of its monetary tightening. And what's built into many investors' mindset is the prospect of cheaper money towards the end of the year, i.e. lower interest rates, should the US economy tip into recession. So we're here to dig into that concept a little deeper. Let's start with Steve Sosnick. 2023, Steve, has been characterized by extreme volatility, but that, that settled down as the potential end to the monetary tightening phases in sight. Should investors expect volatility to resume or is volatility by definition unexpected? Some of each. You know, one of the things that's interesting, and I'm just going to contradict you a little because we are taping this in the afternoon on May 31st. And earlier today, the S&P was exactly unchanged for the month, zero change for the month. Now, that said, at the same time, NDX was up about 7.5%. So, you know, there is volatility within within things. But um, we haven't had a lot of 1% moves. We haven't had a lot of big days. We managed to escape uh, the debt ceiling crisis, at least so far, without, without much drama. You know, you can never get too complacent with volatility. I do think we've been sort of in a trading range as far as VIX is concerned. Let's call it 16 to 21 and I think as we approach the lower end of the range, it's prudent to to think that that something usually creeps in and, and pushes it back toward toward the middle to the higher end of that range. I would say, can you give us a textbook definition of what is a recession? Sure. Uh, although I haven't published this textbook just yet, it's currently in the works. <laughs> but I would say a broad decline in economic activity measured in real terms that lasts at least a few months. And uh, an important aspect here, because we haven't dealt with inflationary recessions in a long time, it's in real terms. So even though earnings hold up, consumers hold up, inflation serves as a barrier to that growth. 
if I may jump in, a lot of people always think about a recession as being two negative prints in GDP, um, which we actually got recently, but that wasn't enough to call it a recession. Um, it's sort of not a recession until a bunch of a bunch of folks on the NBER say it is. Um, how do you characterize it? It's much easier to categorize um, with a simple rubric, but how do you bring it into? How do you bring it in if you're if you're trying to be more subtle? Well, I, I, you're absolutely right, Steve. The technical definition is two back-to-back quarters of negative real GDP growth, and I think the labor market, because it's remained so strong, albeit real consumer spending has been treading water. I think that's what the NBER was was looking for to call last year a recession. And then also you had in the second half of 2022, you had stronger growth and that sort of made 2022 a flat kind of year. So Jose, where, where would you say the US economy is right now heading into the June FOMC? Well, we're certainly late cycle. Earnings reflect that significantly off peaks. Leading indicators continue to point downward. And what's really made this cycle much more difficult to read than previous cycles is the pandemic. The pandemic really unleashed unprecedented amount of liquidity. Folks, if you would have told folks last year that the Fed was going to five or five and a quarter or five and a half, they would have said, oh, that means we're immediately going into recession. And as we can see through 2023, we're still not there, albeit we are sort of flatlining, but things are still holding up because all that liquidity, it takes a while to run down. You know, in the past, you've had one trillion in liquidity injections. This time you had roughly eight to 10 when you combine both the fiscal authorities and the monetary authorities. So that's made it really challenging this cycle to sort of gauge when the liquidity is going to run out. And I'm sure Steve will talk more about this later and maybe Joe as well. Uh, In the markets, we're seeing just buyers show up day in, day out, uh, no matter the headwinds. And I think that reflects that unprecedented amount of liquidity that was injected. Let's turn to, to monetary policy. So let's let's bring in Joe. The Fed's lifted rates by 5%, 500 basis points in a very aggressive pace of tightening in a relatively short period of time, Joe. How quickly does monetary policy usually bite? Well, I think I think the answer to that is that, you know, most typically you see uh, 18 months to two years before you see any real impact um, of monetary policy. Um, but, you know, if you look at CPI, CPI was... Uh, about 9% in June of 2022, and it's just under 5% um, in April of, uh, of this year. So, you know, clearly it's having an effect, but, you know, to uh, Jose's point, uh, the the employment is strong. While we're hearing talk about tech layoffs and white collar layoffs more and more, um, the employment numbers are still very strong. And I think as long as the, the consumer continues to spend, I think that the Fed's going to have a challenge to uh, to bring CPA down further. So, so it's not biting in the same way as it, as it possibly has in the past. Is that perhaps because it's come from practically zero to begin with? I think that could have something to do with it because, you know, if you go from zero to 5% versus, say, 5 to 9%, it's going to have a greater impact at the higher end than, than at the lower end. Can you talk about the pace of borrowing? So we talk about sensitivity of demand for loans relative to the cost of borrowing. Talk about the, the how has corporate debt issuance responded to higher interest rates? Well, prior to the tightening cycle, when everyone sort of knew that the Fed was going to tighten, uh, the 
uh, corporate issuance was just massive, um, and everyone wanted to get ahead of that tightening. But and then it was sort of slow in 2022. But as we get in, you know, sort of the middle of 2023 here, uh, it seems like corporations are starting to say this is business as usual. We need to continue to borrow. To uh, there was a big refinancing with. Um, I think it was Caterpillar. Apple just issued a big bond recently. So you're starting to see the large corporations that are that are issuing debt again. Um, how that, whether or not that persists, I don't know. But we're certainly, um, it certainly seems like it's more, more of a business as usual type of approach. Steve, share prices have already had a tough time navigating monetary policy tightening earlier this year by the Fed. What does a recession mean for the stock market? Well. It's important to always remember that the stock market and the and the economy are two distinct items. So they they echo, they rhyme, they play nicely together, but they're not one and the same. And so I think Jose hit on it before with the amount of liquidity that we're seeing is keeping is keeping markets, particularly equity markets afloat despite the, the the monetary retrenchment that we that we we should be seeing and that we are seeing and so that's why we've been able to muddle along there's a psychological when i look at like a chart of nvidia and some of these other ones that have gone parabolic when you get a parabolic move it means that someone is in 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 real pain actually on the other side of the trade in in this case of like an nvidia i'm not going to say it's like you know lumber futures or copper futures where someone's caught short and they have to panic to cover their short this is FOMO, which is which is in and of itself its own fear. Investors want this this situation to be behind us, whether or not it's realistic or not. And I think that's why we get these big moves in big flurries, even in the face of of some of the most staunch monetary tightening that we that we any of us can remember. Let's come back to Jose. I think everybody's touched upon the labor market. The overall labor market slowing, consumer confidence is down, but we're seeing concentrated pockets of weakness or resilience, Jose, that, that seem to characterize the economy. Can you describe some contrasting trends amongst various economic sectors for us? Absolutely. So the interest rate sensitive sectors have been doing bad, manufacturing and real estate. When consumers go to furniture stores, when they go to electronics and appliance stores, and they're looking to make big purchases because of higher interest rates and because of tighter credit standards. So not only do you have to pay more to get a, to get a loan on a particularly particular durable good that you want, you also run the risk that a bank won't lend to you. So that's made manufacturing conditions contract significantly from 2022. Also, pandemic shifts from good spending to services spending made it where a lot of the folks have already all the goods that they need. In the real estate sector, pretty much it's been very tough with the inventory shortage as well as those high interest rates. And on the other side, services spending has been, have been, has been on fire, right? And part of the reason is, is there a propensity to save in this economy? If housing affordability is so far out for most younger folks. So what they're doing is Americans aren't saving as much as they were pre-pandemic. And they're spending a ton of money on services. This is airfares, restaurants, drinking parlors, amusement parks. They're having a good time. And that's really the juxtaposition that we're seeing now. The interest rate sensitive sectors are doing poorly in terms of transactions and money going in, but services are on fire. 
And services inflation is actually the toughest kind of inflation to pull back because services are very labor intensive. And what's happened is that employers, employees, and patrons are all learning to live with inflation and it's working its way into expectations. And it's been very challenging for the Fed to bring that core CPI, that core PCE down. Hitting on what Joe said earlier, 9% CPI down to five. That's the easy part. That's commodities and supply chains doing that work for you. From five to two, a lot more challenging. We're going to talk about the mother of all recessionary indicators in a moment when we talk to Joe about the yield curve. But Steve, let me ask you, beneath the surface for stocks, are there other recessionary indicators that that, are, that, that you monitor that are flashing? One of the earliest adages that I was taught was you can't really have a sustainable equity market rally if retail stocks are not participating. Mm -hmm. And it's a little tricky to separate that out because Amazon so dominates a lot of the measures of retail. And when I say retail, I mean uh, the you know, stores, not not people, not retail investors. But we're, we're not seeing a ro very robust retail sector, you know, stock-wise. And, you know, you, and, and every so often you're getting some of these disasters du jour, which tend to be in, in retailers. So it's a tricky one because the consumer, as Jose is mentioning, is out there spending. They're spending it on services, though, not goods. You know, ultimately, the consumer, the consumer does have to show up sort of more broad-based. Um, it's tough to fight what is it, Jose, 65, 70% of the economy with, through consumers, but it, their, their spending is not necessarily conducive to, in sectors that, that might be stock market friendly. So that's one I've been keeping an eye on. Joe, to what extent is the Fed in control of monetary policy, specifically monetary tightening, when the yield curve inverts the way it has done and starts to predict recession? I think when we look at what the Fed can actually do is they can raise the Fed funds rate, low raising lower the Fed funds rate, they can't really do anything about the longer end of the curve. That's mm -hmm. based upon so many things like inflationary expectations, technical issues, uh, uh, debt issuance, a variety of things. So to the extent that there's an inverted curve, is it a predictor of an, a recession? Yes. In the past, it has, it has been, I think, every time except for one instance where it didn't. So the smart money would be on uh, the a recession going forward, but we don't know yet. Steve, any glimmers of uh, optimism for the economy and share prices? Well, the fact that we're seeing money just flowing into to the best performing names means that there is there is a lot of interest in the stock market, though it's clearly narrowing. Um, and I point people to the piece I published today, the, the 31st of May. But the fact that people are still willing to participate and buy their favorite names, if if that can turn into broad-based rotation, if the divergence, let's say, between the equal-weighted S&P or the equal-weighted NDX and the cap-weighted versions narrows because the bottom comes up rather than the top comes down, well, that's a potential positive. But that remains to be seen. Jose, let's wrap up with you. Is there a recession on the horizon from where you're sitting? I think so. I think second half of 2023, we get there. I think uh, this cycle has just been taking a longer time for monetary policy tightening to weigh down inflation and consumer spending. But we have some headwinds on the horizon. One of those is uh, student loan repayment, which may begin in a few months. So that can hamper consumers. And we're starting to see initial unemployment claims start to tick up, albeit 
they're not surging, but they're they're starting to tick up and some conflicting information as well. Like this morning, we got information on job openings that was higher than uh, than the previous month. Uh, so, but I do think that ultimately five and a quarter is is too much for the economy to handle. I think if the Fed didn't boost the balance sheet by 320 billion back in March, we'd be having a different conversation. And I don't think that April spending would have come in that strong had it been for that those loosening in financial conditions that occurred specifically to save the regional banking sector. So I think um, we're going to have some economic pain in the second half of 23. Excellent. Joe Berg, Steve Sosnick, Jose Torres, thank you very much for stopping by the studio today. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Terrific. And don't forget, folks, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to check us out online at ibkrpodcast.com. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice.